Amen. Thank you. Thank you to the praise team. And I just want to say it's really good to see Bob Graham here today. We've been praying for Bob. Bob, my guess is you're going to get a lot of hugs today. And you're a hugger, so that's a good thing for you, I'm sure. So Excited to jump into the scriptures again today. We're going to be back in Genesis. We started a new series in the beginning of the year. We've been going through Genesis 1-1, that's the beginning of the Bible, uh, and moving through it uh, piece by piece. We're not going to continue that for the entire Bible, uh, but we're going to hopefully go to Genesis chapter 3, um, talking about beginnings, beginnings. And then today, we're going to look at relationships. <laughs> um, up to this point, we haven't really had an opportunity to talk about relationships from Genesis because there's only been one person in the world. Obviously, this one person has a relationship with God, so there is a relationship there, uh, but it's just been Adam. Now we turn to the creation of Eve. And how fitting, we're going to talk about this, because this week is Valentine's Day. So hopefully all of you guys here who are married or in a relationship, you didn't forget, Thursday is Valentine's Day. So hopefully you have something, some, some plan for it. But what is Valentine's Day? It's a day that we celebrate love. And actually, I don't know if you know this, Valentine was a Christian. Um, He was a real person, by the way. He lived. Uh, Archaeologists have discovered a a Roman catacomb from the earliest days of the Christian faith in an ancient church that was dedicated to Valentine. He was imprisoned for marrying Christian couples in secret (laughs) because it was illegal to be a Christian and aiding Christians who were being persecuted uh, by the Emperor Claudius in Rome. Uh, He was arrested And while he spent time in jail, he led numerous people to faith, the guards and their families. I think there was one account is 46 people he led to faith while imprisoned. Um, Eventually, Valentine refused to renounce his faith, to renounce his Christian faith, and he was executed outside the Flaminian Gate on what date? February 14th, the year 260. Nine. We remember him as the one who married those who, in, in secret, and he celebrated love. He died for his love for the Lord, and he celebrated love between a man and a woman, bringing people together in marriage. How fitting, then, we're going to talk about relationships on the week of Valentine. And that's another, another way in which the Holy Spirit sort of brings things together. But relationships is broader than just the relationship between a man and a woman or marriage. Relationships are essential to all of life. In fact, it's, it's part of who we are. We define ourselves partly, maybe even primarily, in regards to our relationships. Uh, Who am I um, if I'm not a husband to Jessica? If I'm not a dad to my two kids? If I'm not a son to my parents, a brother, a a pastor at First Baptist? That's how I kind of almost define my existence. In fact, when you pull somebody away from all of their relationships, what happens? They start to go a a little bit crazy. Uh, They have to find relationships. For example, how many people I'm sure have seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, right? A good number of people. What does Tom Hanks do? First, he's stuck on this island after the plane crash. I don't think I'm giving the movie away. It's like 10 years old. So, but uh, he, he sort of is sustained by a picture of his fiance, Kelly. That sort of keeps him going, keeps him wanting to survive rather than to just take his own life and to end it because he's all alone. And then he actually creates a friend from a volleyball, right? It's a kind of a strange part of the movie, but when you watch it, you, you kind of understand what's going on. He's, he's alone. He needs some, even if he has to create a relationship, he creates Wilson. And when Wilson floats away, he almost grieves over him like the death of a friend. 
Because relationships are essential to who we are as people. Look with me. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, 18 to 25. God gives us relationships for our good. All different types of relationships. But of course here, the relationship between Adam and Eve is one of marriage. 2, 18 to 25. We read this. It's on the screen. should be. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God creates and gives us relationships for our good. There's an outline in your bulletin. If you want to follow along, take notes, uh, just see where we're going, feel free to do that. But first, relationships are part of God's good creation. They're part of God's good creation. We see that in verses 18 through 20. God sees relationships as good. Uh, for those of you who have been with us since the beginning of January, what have we seen after each day of God's creation? What does he say? God sees that it was good. God sees that it was good. Six times. Except for the last day, he actually adds a word. He sees after creating human beings, he sees that it is very good. All of creation is good. This is the first time we find in the beginning of the universe, and we see in the Bible here, something is not good. <laughs> It's not evil, but it's not good. And what is it? We see in verse 18, it is not good that the man should be alone. Relationships are good that God gives us, and he recognizes to be alone is not a good thing. So what does God do? He seeks a helper for the man, uh, a helper that's suitable for him. Now, if you know that the helper is going to eventually be Eve, and let me just say, uh, helper is not a a derogatory term. It's not a a lesser term. In fact, later on in Genesis, that word for helper is used of God. God is our helper. So it's actually a very prominent uh, term. They're equals. Here is God looking for a helper, a suitable helper for Adam. And so what does God do? He creates the animals. It says he had created them and he brings them to Adam so that Adam could name them. And that's pretty significant, actually. Why name them? Uh, To name something means you have a, a certain relationship with it. You don't name a stranger. You don't name uh, some animals in the wild. You name what? You name your pets. (laughs) You name your kids. Uh, There's an intimacy. There's a relationship, even a friendship with that thing. And there's certainly a a relationship, one of authority or responsibility at least, over that which you name. But all the animals are brought to Adam, and as we read, no suitable helper is found. Uh, Animals are great. (laughs) They're great companions. They make great pets. 
Um, I've had pets almost my entire life, uh, but they fall short of that true suitable helper, that, that companionship that Adam needs in the garden. Granted, we need, we're meant to love animals. It's always been said, dog is man's best friend. That's kind of true. I love my dog. Uh, but when you think about it, dogs are easy to love, uh, as are other animals. Maybe not cats. Cats aren't so easy to love. But dogs are easy to love. Sorry for our cat people here. But dogs are easy to love. But here's what people say. I, I, lo- I like dogs better than people. Well, of course you do. Dogs love unconditionally. <laughs> they don't hurt your feelings. Uh, they don't abandon you and choose another, another person. That's what people do, because we're on equal setting. It's not good for man to be alone. And it's interesting. He's got paradise. Here's Adam. He's got paradise. Literally. Pa- oh, that wasn't even in the, the slides. Josh decided to throw that up. I wonder what you guys were laughing about there. But anyways, he has paradise. Throw the paradise picture up, Josh, please. He has paradise. This is not necessarily Eden because there's no pictures of Eden, but can you imagine what it would be like to live in Eden, whatever it is? We know this. He's surrounded by food and trees and fruit by these animals that are not attacking and eating him. Um, he has literally paradise. But he's alone. And paradise by yourself is not paradise. In fact, paradise by yourself ultimately would become more like hell. To be completely alone. Uh, relationships are not part of the fall. Relationships are part of God's good creation. Uh, you notice the Bible begins in a garden... By, with Adam alone. And how does the Bible end? With a city. With people living together in community with each other. What happens when you're alone too often? It leads to depression. It leads to a lack of accountability. You fall deeper and deeper into whatever sin. In fact, what is the, what is the greatest punishment, besides maybe capital punishment, death, what is the greatest punishment you can give somebody? That's what we look at today. I mean, we take somebody who is, we take people who are, are you know, surrounded by murderers and rapists and child molesters and all these horrible... We put them in prison. And if they do something really bad in that context, what do we do with them? We put them in solitary confinement. We see that as worse than being surrounded by violent people. This is the worst punishment you can possibly give someone to make them completely alone. Uh, I mean, if you've seen the movie The Count of Monte Cristo, anyone... I love the movie with Jim Caviezel. Uh, of course, it's based on the book. I don't know if this quote's in the book, though. So I wanted to refer to the movie. Uh, Edmund Dantes, played by Jim Caviezel, is locked up at the Chateau d'If uh, for years, completely by himself. So for once a year, they take him out and they beat him. And eventually, he meets up with a fellow inmate who has somehow found a way to crawl into his cell. And Dantes says... There are 72,519 stones in my walls. I have counted them many times. And his companion, he calls him priest, who's been there even longer, says, Ah, but have you named them yet? (laughs) That's what being alone does. It drives you insane because it is not good that man should be alone. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. Rick, I'm an introvert. The thought of living alone in that paradise, that sounds great to me. <laughs> I know because I'm an introvert as well. I get it. Uh, but introverts, friends, they recharge when they're alone. Yes, it feels good to be alone in some ways. You prefer it. But even you and me, because I'm an introvert, we prefer, you need balance. To truly be alone all the time would not be paradise. Perhaps 
even more so as an introvert. You need those relationships that God gives us. Yes, we need times to be alone. But what do those times alone do but only recharge us to be better when we're with others? To be more loving, more serving, more encouraging. What did Jesus do? He would be alone. He'd spend the night in prayer alone. He went out to the desert alone for 40 days only to come back and do ministry to care for others. Here's the application for this part, friends. Enjoy relationships. Enjoy them. (laughs) Enjoy friendships. Uh, We're not called to go it alone in life. Um, As I said, I'm an introvert, but I know this, that God is smarter than me. (laughs) And he knows that good, healthy relationships are essential for us. Foster those good friendships. I'd also encourage you to get involved into a community group. Uh, As a church family, we're supposed to be encouraging deeper relationships. And certainly on Sunday morning, you can only get so much with a peace be with you (laughs) and moving on. You need more than that. How do we grow deeper in relationships with one another? We get together throughout the week into different groups, study and pray, fellowship with one another. Um, Welcome others in. Uh, Community relationships is not just for us. Uh, This is the problem with a lot of churches. They become very clicky. If you're not part of the inside of that group, you feel like an outsider, you're never welcomed in. That's not good. We're always supposed to say, come in, you're welcome. We want as a church, we want to have multiple entrances. And not just our building, which we do have in our building, but we want to have multiple, multiple entrances in terms of relationships. All our community groups are open year-round, anytime you want to come. Our ministries are open. Sunday morning, of course, is open. Anything we do, we want to welcome and say, come. And be part of the relationships we have here as a church family. Friends, it would be great if nobody in our community, in our larger community, feels lonely and in despair. They know that there's a church that they're welcome to go to. Relationships are part of God's good creation. Good 21 to 23, though. Marriage is the first human relationship. The first human relationship that God creates. God creates Eve. I think that's important, friends. Animals are not the answer of companionship. They're part of it. That's why God made them, and that's good. But it's, it's not the whole picture. Uh, notice how God creates Eve. He does it different than he does everything else. He causes Adam to sleep, and then through his rib, through his own flesh, he creates his wife Eve. Uh, you wonder, why did he use a rib? I like what Matthew Henry says. Matthew Henry wrote in the end of the 1700s. Uh, You'll like this if you've never heard this before. Women were created from the rib of man to be beside him. Not from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but from under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart to be loved by him. I think there's some wisdom in that. He creates Eve from his side. Uh, How many of you have seen the great picture by Michelangelo of God creating Adam? You may have not have noticed, if you look closely at the picture, under God, the picture of God the Father, which, you know, that's not what God the Father looked like, but under the picture, at least, what do you see? You see Eve. So even in creating Adam, God already has in mind that he would create a suitable helper in his wife, Eve. Uh, By the way, just as a little side note here, some of you may have heard the idea that men have one less rib than women. It's not true. So uh, if you don't spread that, all right, if people say, oh, look, see the Bible, it's proof that the no, it's not true. Men and women have the same number of ribs. Uh, but we see here that the two, Adam and his wife Eve, are intimately connected. 
Uh, God brings Eve to Adam's side. I've heard it described almost like the father of the bride. Here's God, proud father of Eve, bringing his daughter to his son Adam. And almost like the clergyman, (laughs) the one who's ordaining it. Or uh, this whole thing, God sits as they're united. Uh, Adam's response is great. Uh, Adam's response begins with, at last. (laughs) At last. He's been spending all this time naming the animals and looking at them and saying, this is great, I like lions, but that's not my suitable helper. This bear and this whatever, gazelle, great, love these, these are amazing animals, but it's not a suitable helper. (laughs) Until he finally sees his wife Eve and says, at last, at last, my own bone and flesh taken from me. Actually, the, the, the English word woman and man is actually pretty close to the Hebrew. The Hebrew is ish and isha. So actually the words are very similar. She was taken out of man, so isha was taken out of ish. It's actually pretty similar actually in the Hebrew. But marriage is, as we see here, the first and perhaps foundational relationship. Now, very important, it's not the only relationship. We have a whole network of relationships. Uh, The Friday morning men's group was just studying 1 Corinthians 7, which talks about singleness. And very importantly, it says, singleness is a gift. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Some people have the gift of marriage. Some people have the gift of singleness. They're different. Both are raised up. Both are considered honorable. Both are considered good. If you're called a singleness, of course, you surround yourself with good friends, um, or at least for that period of life, time in your life, or some people for a lifetime, you surround yourself with good, close friendships. But I do think it is appropriate that marriage is considered the first relationship that we see it in the Scriptures. could have been something different. God could have created a friend. He could have created a leader, an authority figure over another. He could have created Adam's daughter from the dust or something. Or a priest, a pastor over the other. But he doesn't. He creates a wife. Because this relationship is foundational. Actually, when you think about it, other relationships literally come from marriage. <laughs> literally. Uh, kids come from marriage. Grandkids come from marriage. And aunts and uncles and cousins and all that network of relationships, they come out of an initial marriage. It's foundational not only to other relationships, but to our society as a whole. A culture is not made up of just individuals. It's made up of families together. As we as a church, I hope we will celebrate marriage and lift it high. Uh, define it. Define it rightly. Define it biblically. Uh, I, I don't want to be known for what we're against. I, I, don't, I don't know why we, as Christians, tend to focus on what we're against when it comes to marriage. I want to focus on what we're for. What are we for as Christians? We're for a covenant between one man and one woman and before God, and before others, that lasts a lifetime, ideally. We'll talk about how it's broken a lot of the times. Friends, we have a lot of long-term marriages here at our church. Let's make much of that. Uh, I've been married for 18 years, coming on 19 this year, so I'm just a youngin' (laughs) for many of you. Some of you guys are celebrating 40, 50 years, more, 60 years of marriage. Teach us. Teach us. Talk about that. Talk about that in our community groups. Talk about what it took, what it takes for you to last that long together. And what all the sacrifice that needs to be made and and how you did it. Uh, Those who are married and younger or even preparing for marriage eventually, we need to hear that from you. 
You've accumulated a lot of wisdom when it comes to marriage, and we need you to talk about it so that we can hear it. Um, we need, as a church, need to raise up marriage by teaching on it. I'm doing that this morning, but regularly teaching about what marriage really is. That it's not just this momentary, flighty feeling. It's a long commitment that takes great amounts of love and sacrifice. Pray for marriages. Pray for marriages, friends. Especially marriages that are hurting right now. If you're married here, guard your marriage. Guard it. Protect it. The devil loves to attack marriages. If that's a weak point in your spiritual life, he will go right for it. I guarantee you that's the case. Guard your marriage. And I'm thankful that we officiate marriages here too. I have a wedding coming up in April. I'm excited about that. I get to bring two people together. It's not going to be here at the church. It's going to be over at Winnie Kinney. But I get to officiate to stand over a wedding. A wedding is a powerful picture of what? Of God and his bride, the church. God's love for his people and his people's commitment to him. This is what I say, actually, at, uh, at, at weddings. This is sort of the traditional statement of marriage and its definition. I just want to read that to you and how it pictures Christ for us. So I begin a marriage by saying this. Dear family and friends, we're gathered here in the presence of God to join this man and this woman in holy marriage, which is instituted of God, regulated by his commandments, blessed by our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ blessed marriage as a good thing and to be held in honor among all people. Let us therefore reverently remember that God has established and sanctified marriage for the welfare and happiness of mankind. Jesus Christ has declared that a man shall leave his father and mother and cling unto his wife. Through his word, he has entrusted those who enter into this relation to cherish a mutual esteem and love, to bear with each other's infirmities and weaknesses, to comfort each other in sickness We've seen that happen in our church, bearing with each other in sickness, trouble, and sorrow, in honesty and industry, work together to provide for each other, to pray for, and to encourage each other. Thankful for marriages. Friends, I'd also say, do we have, of course, broken families? Yes. It's a painful reality of a sinful and fallen world. But we need to see the standard. We need to continue to lift up the ideal, continue to recognize that God calls us to this. It brings us to our last section. Relationships are based on sacrifice, unity, and trust. Sacrifice, unity, and trust. Uh, look at this last section, verses 24 to 25. Uh, he gives a little explanation about this relationship here. Uh, actually, this is uh, Moses, or whoever is sort of compiling together Genesis, his little addition here. This isn't part of the story. The first part in verse 24. He's explaining. He's drawing an application from this story. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. There are no mother and fathers yet. <laughs> this is an application for those reading this story later. This is sort of a parenthesis, but it's an important one. Therefore means this is, I'm drawing the conclusion from this whole story about how this applies to later generations from, that are to come. This is the result of this story. He says a man leaves his father and mother. Um, that's another relationship. Mother, father, parental relationship with a child. He leaves that relationship. There's a sacrifice that is sort of made there. A breaking of the primacy of one relationship for the good of that child so that they can engage in a different relationship going forward. And then do what? Hold fast to his wife. Cling to. Unite to. 
and they become one flesh, which is a statement of their unity together, spiritually and physically. And then this sort of maybe seemingly sounding a little strange to us, uh, verse 25, back to the story. The man and his wife are both naked and are not ashamed. So what is that all about? They're just laying there naked in the garden. Um, it, it may seem sexual, and it is. That's part of what's going on, certainly. <laughs> Don't take that out of it. But it is certainly more than that as well. Uh, they're innocent. They're nothing to be ashamed of. There's no sin in the world. They're vulnerable with one another. They're trusting one another. They're open to one another. There's nothing to hide. This is the picture of creation. I like what uh, the NIV Study Bible um, says about this. Chapter 2 ends with harmony between God and creation, between God and the human couple, between the couple and creation, and between man and the woman. There's harmony throughout all of creation as they lay there vulnerable, trusting, and open with each other. Friends, in a perfect world, this, is, this would define all relationships, right? In a perfect world. All relationships would be based on sacrifice. What is best for the other person? Not just marriage. We're talking about relationships in general now again. Uh, what is best for the other person? Um, certainly the parent here is saying, I'm the primary relationship in my son's life or daughter's life, and now I'm giving that up so that they can engage in something that's good for them. There's a sacrifice made there. We certainly see that with a husband and wife, Ephesians 5. Husband, are you willing to lay down your life for another? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for your spouse? And even friendship, what did Jesus say? Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Are you willing to give it up, give up everything for someone else? What is best for them? That's what a relationship is ideally best on, based on. In a perfect world, relationships are based on unity. Uh, that we're bound together by more than just, hey, we both like basketball, or we both like a certain author or something, or we're both a part, same, part of the same ethnic identity. Based on something deeper than that, that we're human beings together, and certainly we are Christians together in Christ. And relationships are based in a perfect world on trust. On trust, naked towards one another. Not physically, I would recommend, unless you're married. <laughs> but certainly spiritually open uh, to one another. Are you you? In a friendship, let's take a friendship. Are you able to just be yourself? Are you able to be vulnerable, to be honest, and to be open? That's what in an ideal world, this is God's plan. This is God's calling for relationships. You take him out of the picture and problems arise. What happens when this is not the case? We don't live in a perfect world. We live in a sinful and broken world. Yes, relationships were created as good, and we're not meant to be alone. But look around you, and what do you find? Lots of loneliness. Lots of abandonment. Lots of people who have been hurt by others. Yes, marriage is the first and the foundational relationship. It's also the most difficult, the most broken and the, most, the, the one that leads to perhaps the most conflict. Now, the divorce rate, last I checked, is at 46%, which means about half of all marriages end by the couple saying, we just can't do this anymore. They're not based typically on sacrifice. Our relationships are often based on selfishness. What can I get out of this? 
They're not based on unity, but oftentimes on similarity based on some superficial thing. They're not based on trust, but often deceit. Friends, here's the good news. Jesus died to redeem sinners. He died to reconcile us to himself and to one another. Christ died on the cross naked and exposed, forced into vulnerability, forced into shame because he took our place on the cross where we deserve to be so that we can receive his righteousness and be clothed in his goodness. Friends, we, we look at relationships around the world, we see brokenness and that should point us more to our need of a savior and our need of Jesus who sacrificed for us so that he would be united to us and that we could trust him for all eternity. He died to redeem us. Friends, God gives us relationships for our good. It is not good for man to be alone. When we think about this, friends, I want you to think about the local church. Why are we doing this together? Uh, if you are a Christian and you follow Jesus, you can say, I, I can do this on my own, right? Just read the Bible every day, pray to God every day, try to live in, in line with the scriptures and I don't need a church for that. And there are plenty of Christians who are out there who do that. So I don't need a church. Why do we need to be together? Because God gives us these relationships. And when we as a church gather, what are we doing? We're getting ourselves, in a sense, more and more like what we were created to be. We're shining forth the relationships that God has made across cultures and ethnicities and races and ages and different personality types. Uh, think about it. If you look around this room and you look at all the diversity in this room of ages and ethnicities and personality types and all that I just said, what would bring us together outside of a church? Do <laughs> you think this group of people would be hanging out to, with one another on Friday nights, you know, talking and, you know, whatever, eating? Probably not, right? But Christ brings all of us together, and that's what the church is. Understand, we're on a journey. Uh, churches are not perfect, and our church, First Baptist, is certainly among the not perfect churches, <laughs> because that's all there is out there. We haven't arrived yet, but hopefully, friends, this is what we do as a church. We're growing in maturing relationships that are based on sacrifice and trust and unity, that are based in calling those who are lonely into fellowship. Jesus is our Savior and our example. He is love personified perfectly. And he brought, draws us into a relationship first and foremost with him. And then from there, a relationship with one another. Pray with me. Our gracious Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word that gives us clarity and guidance as to how you have made us as human beings and what you call us to. It also reveals to us the level of our brokenness from what you have created. But even better, reveals to us the glory and the goodness of our Savior, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord, that you have made all people in your own image. Even as we heard from our brother Rex, Lord, that those who are being knit together in the womb belong to you. And you've made us, Lord, to glorify you and to enjoy you forever.
to know you, our creator, that you didn't just create us and sort of send us out there alone. You want us to be in relationship with you. But more than that, Lord, you've made us to know one another. You've made us, Lord, to, in a sense, have naked personalities, willing to be ourselves, be authentic and genuine, to know one another and trust one another. And as your people, Lord, to prepare for an eternity of knowing you and knowing one another. Help us as a church, Lord. We're on the journey. We're not there yet. We're growing. And we pray, Father, by your Holy Spirit who dwells among us, help us to continue to grow deeper in love with you and deeper in fellowship with each other. We pray this in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.